0: hi welcome back to therapy chat today i have a special guest dr andrea brant who is a psychotherapist speaker and author of most recently the book mindful anger a pathway to emotional freedom andrea thank you so much for being here on therapy chat
1: oh it's my pleasure laura I really look forward to chatting with you.
0: thank you. Um, I'm really interested in talking about your book, um, you know, Mindful Anger. Just the name caught my attention right away because um I think just anger and mindfulness are not two things that we usually associate uh, with one another
1: for sure it's it's um people associate anger. Uh With something that's hurtful, that feels bad, that's a big no no, and um when you put mindfulness to it, now you're asking them to th- something very counterintuitive, which is to come up close and personal with an emotion that they are they have not a very good relationship with. You know? And um, because we're brought up in a society that's based on the pleasure principle. So if something doesn't feel good, get rid of it. And anger usually doesn't feel good to people. Either the changes it creates in your body, you know, your heart beats faster, your anxiety rises to a fever pitch, and your blood vessels constrict and all of that. So that doesn't feel good. Or you begin feeling scared because you're angry. And so people don't want to get up close and personal and be mindful. They have, they're fearful of that. And yet if you use mindfulness in a kind of slow and deliberate uh, way by, by, you know, focusing on the body and what the body, the wisdom the body is saying to you, and if you tell the people that there's wisdom, the goal is to get the wisdom from your anger, it kind of piques their interest a little bit,
0: yeah, so I like that idea of like, is this anger trying to tell you something that you need to know? Mm-hmm. I- yes, it is, yeah, and I think in you know you mentioned our society says, if something feels uncomfortable, get rid of it. That's so true.
1: Right. So people really need to learn how to live with discomfort. This isn't my law. This is the law of life. (laughs) You know,
0: you didn't make this up.
1: I didn't make this up. Let me tell you. But the truth is, is there's no change, as you know, without discomfort. And so if we are not willing to get up close and personal with anger in a mindful way, then we don't get the benefits that anger has for us, which is to help us set boundaries, to help us get our needs met, to help us get things accomplished. I mean, anger basically says there's something wrong and we have to do something about it. But if we're busy running and avoiding and... and not paying attention, um, then we're not getting the wisdom or the messages that anger has to give to us. You know, just as an aside, I saw um, a statistic that I just – came back from doing some workshops and talks in Boston. And I found this statistic that people go through their 47% of their life not knowing what they're doing. Hmm. That's a pretty high percentage, don't you think, Laura?
0: Yeah. Do you mean not knowing as in? They're in a trance. Oh, yes.
1: I believe it. You know, you drive to some place and you don't know how you got there.
0: I was driving to pick up a salad for lunch, and I turned into my (laughs) office parking lot. And I said, "What am I doing? Why am I here?" (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. So that is very true. We're disconnected from what we're doing, what we're feeling, what our bodies are doing, and I think that translates into, you know, our lack of health. And, um, you know, yes.
1: Yeah, it creates all kinds of problems. You know, bad self-esteem. We have difficulty making decisions.
0: Trouble in relationships. Oh, sure. We push people
1: away because if you're not paying attention, you don't see that anger is leaking out all over the place.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I found it Fascinating. So let let me be completely honest. When I first saw the book, I thought, you know, anger, hmm, like uncomfortable topic, I don't know. And then I started reading it, and I was really drawn in immediately. But you shared some of your own story about your relationship to anger. Can you talk a little about that?
1: Sure. I grew up in a family where um They were very passive-aggressive, so nobody was angry in any direct way. Um, I'm not unfamiliar with anger and trauma because my grandfather was murdered in 1926 in the city of Chicago by the mob for not (laughs) joining the union um, because he had a very successful steel-hauling business. And the interesting thing is is his employees didn't want him to join the union either because he paid them all quite well. He took very good care of them. But it was the mob, it was Chicago, and they had other ideas. And the um, people, the justice system in Chicago found out who murdered him but couldn't bring him to justice because it's Chicago. What can I tell you? Um, and it was the mob. Uh, so everybody responded differently. And most people, either the girls in the family, there were seven kids. The girls in the family went the route of denial. And the boys all went passive aggressive that route. So I grew up in this passive aggressive family just with massive amounts of anger that never got discussed or released or processed in any way. And when I moved out to California, got a job, a place to live, eventually got married, my husband and I went into therapy together. And then we went um, into a couples group. And I don't know what happened or what the guy said in this couple's group. But up until now, you know, I was not connected to my feelings. I was just in therapy, but I I wasn't really connected. And um, this guy said something and it hit me right in my gut. And all of a sudden... I stood up yelling and screaming. I picked up my purse. I flailed it around. I wanted to hit him and hurt him. I was out of my mind and out of my body. I had just totally lost control. And I looked over at my husband who was sitting on the couch looking at me like, oh, my God, who is this woman that I'm married to? (laughs) What happened to this nice, sweet person that I walked in this room with? And it brought me back to reality. And I tried to run from the room and the therapist wouldn't let me, which, of course, he didn't want me to run away from what I had done. And I just broke down on the sofa and sobbed and cried and got angry some more and sobbed and cried and got angry. And that happened um, after that night. That happened for four consecutive mornings in the shower afterwards where I was crying and getting angry and sobbing and getting and then would stop and, and, and then I'd go to work. And then all of a sudden it stopped I wasn't crying, but I looked at myself like, you know, just scanning my body and I realized how much different I felt. I was startled by the power of this event because this just wasn't anger. This was the energy that is t- in tandem with the anger. I mean, I'm talking a lot of years ago, Laura. However, back then, the only tools we really had for anger were verbal tools, you know. Thank God. Um, Harriet Goldhill Lerner wrote the book The Dance of Anger and Carol Tavers wrote a book on anger and gave us the verbal tools of I feel. So we had the I message. And, um, we could use that. And as I said, thank God we had that, but it wasn't enough because we still had this toxic energy in our bodies that does damage to our, uh, even our immune systems if we don't get the energy out. So, all of a sudden it occurred to me that maybe anger isn't so bad. Maybe, you know, it it can really be helpful. And it was helpful for me, and it became for me the pathway to emotional freedom. Maybe I could help other people reach that energy. And truthfully, that that has been my crusade ever since, Because I would meet with individuals and couples and nobody knew what to do with their anger. I mean, it's a very corrosive emotion if you don't have the tools to deal with it.
0: Right. And it's kind of like, it's just not acceptable. You know what I mean? It's like, you're an angry person. That's not okay. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. (laughs)
1: I really do, but it's normal.
0: We all feel it.
1: Yeah, we can't go through life with that. I mean, they life throws up so many obstacles in our way. When people repress and suppress their anger and say, "Oh, I never get angry." Oh, no, no, no! I don't even know what the feeling is like. I used to be like that. Yeah, (laughs) me too. But it, I felt like I wasn't human. You know, I don't think those. It's numb, shut down. There's a deadness. And yeah, it's not It's not good for you. <laughs> right. It really isn't because you miss a lot of really meaningful parts of life. You know, I believe, I personally believe conflict, um, differences, anger can strengthen relationships. They don't have to destroy them.
0: That's such a great point. I often talk with people, I don't do couples counseling, but I'll talk Uh with people about relationship issues they're having. And, you know, they'll say, how can we stay together if we don't agree about this? And I just say, you know, it's actually not that you have to agree. It's that you have to work through the disagreement and the conflict. Right. Right. You know, to get there. Yeah.
1: Yes, I agree with you 100%. And I think that mindfulness is such a wonderful tool to be able to use. And one of the exercises that I do with people to kind of ease them in, because mindfulness, you know, people have trouble with it. It's not for everybody. It's very vulnerable. It is. It's very vulnerable. So not everybody wants to do it, but One of the things I do that I think is really um, an easy way to get into it is I have them, you know, sit up in their chairs, make or on the couch, make themselves really comfortable, put their feet flat on the ground, close their eyes, take some deep breaths, and imagine a snow globe. And like I'm shaking up this snow globe and the snowflakes are all your thoughts and flashes of memory going through your mind. And just focus on that. And notice the flashes of memory and the thoughts. Notice the, flow, the snow globe kind of slowly and gently become a flurry of flakes, slowly and gently. And then they settle to the ground. And there's, imagine the stillness and the beauty at the end of a fresh snowfall. And that's the gift that mindfulness can give to you and can bring to your life. And the stillness and the beauty, if nothing else gets to them, that gets to them because who of us, you know, aren't racing through life? And we all need to learn how to slow down and to take time to slow down.
0: So true. And it can be You know, like you mentioned before about just going through life, not knowing what we're doing, we can just be on autopilot so much, but it feels, right. it just feels so disconnected.
1: Yeah, it is. It's really disconnected, you know, so people need to learn to slow down.
0: So Andrea, one thing that I am really interested in because most of the clients I work with Have Mm -hmm. childhood abuse, trauma, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or neglect. And in your book, you talk about anger and childhood wounds. I was wondering if you can say a little bit about that.
1: Well, there's a wonderful um, YouTube, um, Edtronics YouTube, on um, attachment. And he talks about it in terms of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the good is when the mom is cooing and gooing with her child, and everything is going fine. It's what we all wish for, for ourselves and our children. But it's not what most people got. So that's the good. The bad Is And he shows this by asking the mom to not coo and goo with the child, but to just sit there kind of stone-faced. And the child is still trying to reach out and, you know, uh, make contact with mom and has a minor meltdown. And then she comes back alive and reconnects with him. So... The good is when things are fine. The bad is when they're not fine, but there's repair. Yeah. What you and I see and what you're talking about is the ugly, where there's no chance for reparation. Mm. So the child feels neglect, feels an attachment, rupture, feels like their needs aren't getting met, like someone is not paying attention to them, and that their feelings don't matter, and child is beside themselves. And because parents, and this is what's ironic about it, Laura, you know, when we come out of the womb, they slap us on our butts. And we scream and we flail and we uh, cry and all this stuff, you know, our first signs of anger. And it brings everybody toward us. Feed me, clothe me, warm me, take care of my needs. It's like God's first gift to us, right? (laughs) This is the irony. Because I guarantee you, if anybody acted like that today, people would go running for the hills. So the point is, is what happened? And normally, it's the parents' own discomfort with the child's feelings or anger.
0: Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years, and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. You know,
1: and... um yeah, their their own discomfort with um, feelings and anger and not knowing how to deal with it. And and so they, you know, Judith V. Orst in her book, Necessary
0: Losses? I'm not familiar with it. It sounds sounds like something um, I would want to read.
1: Yeah, it's an old book. I don't even know if you can get the book. <laughs> this is what happens to children all too often where this is a Judith Vior's quote, parents unconsciously use and misuse their children, do well, make me proud, don't aggravate me. The unspoken deal is this, if you will bury the parts I don't like, then I will love you. The unspoken choice is this, lose yourself or lose me. And unfortunately, that happens all too frequently in the attachment, in the relationship between the mother and the child. And it brings to my mind anyway, Winnicott's false self. <laughs> you know, lose yourself or lose me. So we begin separating from who we are, because more than anything, we want to love and be loved by our parents. We need and want their approval and acceptance. And if we can't get it, we do become someone we know will get approval. So true. Yeah, I was going to say, does that make sense? Yes, yes. But what's interesting is it's not how we started
0: out. (laughs) Right.
1: You know, so uh, it's very hard because we learn about anger like belief systems, like if you come from a family with boundaries or without boundaries. We learn about all of that in our childhoods. And unfortunately, a lot of people came from not the good some came from the bad, but a lot came from the ugly.
0: Yeah. And it seems like kind of generationally, depending on yes. what your family's gone through, like you were talking about your grandfather's murder, that's something right. that affected your whole family for generations. Right. right. It really did. The Holocaust, Holocaust, World War II, World War One, Vietnam. Sure. you know. I went to... Um,
1: I went to a lecture that Maria Shriver gave in her office, which is not far from where I live. And she was interviewing her cousin, Patrick Kennedy, who was Teddy's son. And, you know, he's been an alcoholic. He was an AA. And so he was talking about his process and wrote a book and everything like that. But what was fascinating, because I'm not sure I could vote when JFK came on the scene, but I knew JFK and Robert Kennedy. I mean, I knew them to be very important people in politics and everything, and Teddy Kennedy and the Chappaquiddick and all the traumas that that family lived through. And I kept looking at this guy saying, oh my God. And these people had no tools. They don't, they didn't have the tools that we have today.
0: Right. Like don't talk about it or drink.
1: Yeah. They had alcoholism and any of those isms are like they're symptoms of trauma and like anger is a symptom because you didn't get your needs met or there were no boundaries or there was abuse or something like that. And that's how ca- trauma gets encoded in our bodies. But I was listening to him and I felt all of a sudden I had a wave of feeling sorry for that entire family because I thought, these people don't did not have the tools and the skills that you and I and people today have available to them,
0: and that's such an important example because what family you know they call it Camelot like what family yeah. exemplifies American exactly material wealth success achievement right. at the highest levels, but all these tragedies and all oh. all this horror that's happened to them. And we kind of just, you know, it's like if you think that outward success and material things brings happiness, that's proof that it doesn't.
1: It really doesn't, boy, let me tell you.
0: So what can you say about people who are dealing with anger, how this book can help them change their relationship with anger?
1: Well, I think the book can show them how to deepen their... Firstly, it'll give them an understanding of anger, that anger isn't bad. Anger isn't a bad thing. And if they are acting out badly, they're not bad either. It's just what they've learned but they can learn new ways of interacting and new ways of dealing with anger and perceiving anger and getting the benefits from anger. So I think the book can give them a whole new look on anger And it can give them lots of exercises on how to deal with it. And I think there's something really important that people have to understand about anger. It's not the anger that is so upsetting. In fact, I think it's a misnomer to say people need anger management. It's not the anger that needs to be managed. It's the impulse that precedes the anger. Anger always follows the impulse. So the book will help you find out what your clues are, what makes you angry, what are your triggers. Then you have an impulse. And it starts at our feet and comes all the way up and there are two there are techniques in this book that show you how to catch the impulse. You want to catch the impulse before it goes to the reptilian brain <laughs> which then will go to anger because you'll end up saying or doing something that you'll be very unhappy about. Mm. So I think it will clear up a lot of misconceptions about anger and set people straight about the fact that it's the impulse that precedes the anger. Trigger, clue, impulse, anger, and then the behavior that they're unhappy about if they haven't gotten a grip on the impulse. So it will show them that. It will help them reevaluate their belief systems. And it will have, it has lots of exercises about um, mindfulness and meditations in there. And the result of this exploration would be a much more intimate relationship with themselves an enhanced stability that they will have to connect deeply with others so they can truly have a life of emotional freedom i think the book can be enormously helpful in that regard it has all kinds of important information
0: wonderful and i i love how it has exercises throughout the book
1: yes each chapter has exercises that relate to the title of the chapter.
0: Now, are there specific like how would someone know how would someone see themselves as this book is would help me?
1: Well, if someone this book would help people who are um passive aggressive because it talks about dealing with anger, in a more direct way. People who are passive. You know, there's a whole lot of people who are deeply committed to inaction. <laughs> you know, deeply very, committed to inaction. In inaction. <laughs> <laughs> they do not involve themselves, you know, in lots of different wonderful experiences in life because they don't want to, you know, rustle up um any feelings, on uh, especially angry ones if they have them. But um, I think that people who have, that they're, they're afraid of anger, that are afraid if people are angry at them, that's another good thing because there's um, exercises in this book for assertive communication. Mm. Um, I think that people who are explosive They could get a lot out of this book on how to help them not be explosive and people who avoid and deny. There are lots of reasons in this book that avoiding and denying is not a helpful way. In fact, it's very hurtful even to the body and to your health. Hmm. This book covers lots of good things.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I love how you keep talking about the body because, you know, that's such a key. It's like we can intellectually say, oh, I'm really angry, but, you know, not be connected to what our bodies are yes. doing and feeling.
1: It's totally f- uses the body because the body is an untapped resource in psychotherapy, and only has become like in the last 10, 15 years, really. I mean, it's been really valuable for um, our work in psychotherapy. I mean, it's not like we didn't have Reichen therapy or dance therapy or some other physical things, but today, We have somatic experiencing. We have Pat Ogden sensory motor cycle therapy, which I have been very involved in for like 15, 12, 15 years.
0: Oh, I'm learning that right now.
1: Are you? Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? I love it. Oh, I love Pat Ogden sensory motor cycle therapy. And that's what I use with people. And she's the one who says that the body is an untapped resource. And she's Right.
0: Yeah, she's going to be a guest on the podcast in the future, too.
1: Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad she's she's got a lot of good
0: things to say. Yeah, I love hearing that you've been really involved in sensory motor psychotherapy, too. It's kind of validating just putting all of that together, hearing about the book and knowing Mm -hmm. how much I love that model and um, how effective and just powerful it is.
1: It is. It really is and um i think you'll the more you, the deeper you get into it the more you'll love it i still go to a supervision twice a month on it and i started years ago and in fact i slept to boulder <laughs> wow to be with pat once a month for a year and a half to do the the second level yeah
0: from california yeah yeah, Woo. yeah. yeah i slept from baltimore area to dc which is only an hour <laughs> and it's still you know it's it's, but it's intensive a but it's a schlep a schlep's a schlep but it's um it's definitely worth it no question Oh,
1: definitely it really I'm so glad to hear you say that you you were involved in it it really yeah I'm glad to hear that because I only seem to be around people who are here that do it when I talk to people I go out and I talk about this book. In Boston and even down in Anaheim, I don't think very many people knew who or what I was talking about.
0: It's interesting because I heard about Somatic Experiencing, and then uh, kind of I learned about um, Sensory Motor. I had heard about it, but I didn't understand what it was. Yes, and um, I heard about it. I spoke with someone at the Psychotherapy Networker. Um, symposium last year. And sure, she said, you know, it's, it's the body and mindfulness. And I was like, sold. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I'm telling you, when I had that crazy out of my mind experience in that group, I thought, you know, this is my mission. Not that people should look like me and do it like I did, <laughs> but but just getting that energy moving and out. And there's so many body interventions that you can do without without um, being too intrusive,
0: you know? Right, having to talk about your story in depth.
1: Yeah, and let me tell you, the... It makes therapy much more interesting
0: yeah it it does, and I think it can be less intimidating and even more yes. far more powerful.
1: I think so, I really think so, I think it's an incredible modality,
0: well. I'm even more on board with your book hearing that kind of you have that connection with sensory motor psychotherapy because, yeah. the, you know, it's always when you when you have certain things that are your tools and the things that you believe in and then you learn about new things and you're like, how does that fit with what I do? I want to make sure it's, you know.
1: Well, you know, let me tell you something interesting. You can't use it with everybody. Mm. Because some people, I mean, you've got to really develop a relationship with someone because it is very um, kind of vulnerable and scary to some people. But if you've got a good relationship with them, they'll go along with you. Because the key words are, I'm curious. Let's experiment. (laughs) Right. Right. Those are key words. They're not very threatening.
0: Yeah. That therapeutic relationship, the trust is what allows people to feel comfortable giving it a try.
1: Exactly. And it takes time, but it really does work, boy.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm excited to start using your exercises from your book with my clients and um, definitely have already recommended it to a few people. I think it's To me, it seems pretty revolutionary because, um, you know, it's just not the way you think about anger or dealing with anger.
1: You're absolutely right. And I really appreciate your support. And I've had a wonderful time talking to you.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I've had a wonderful time having you on. So before we stop, let me ask you if you can share how people can find out more about what you're doing and find your book.
1: Okay, well, you can find my book on, on Amazon,
0: because they have
1: really cheap prices. <laughs> 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 and um, you can um, www.abrandtherapy.com, um, and they can email me at abrandphd.com. At abrandtherapy.com.
0: Okay, I'll make sure that put gets put on the show notes for this episode, so people can make sure they get the right the right email address there and the right um, website link. And I see you have some workshops mentioned on your website.
1: Yes, I've got another one happening in Chicago or in and around like Oak Lawn, Oak Brook, Northbrook, and Chicago. Illinois, um, in October.
0: Wonderful. And is that a mindful anger workshop? Yes. Great. So people who want to take it a step beyond the book and really do this in person and learn for CEUs can come check that out.
1: Absolutely.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today on Therapy Chat. I've been really enjoying our conversation and I'm excited. I think the audience is going to really find this so helpful.
1: Oh, well, I really um, have enjoyed it so much, Laura. You're a delight and a great interviewer.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. hi there, this is Laura Reagan, your host for Therapy Chat. And I wanted to tell you about something really different that's coming up on the podcast. I have a lot of people ask me how I built my practice to where it is now. I'm very happy with my practice. I love the work I get to do and going to work every day is joyful. So I wanted to share that information with Those of you who are therapists out there wondering how you can build a practice that makes you feel that way. So I've interviewed a bunch of different people who are experts in podcasting, building websites, coaching, blogging, marketing, uh, and various other things that can be helpful in building a practice. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you beginning in June. Thanks for listening. And as always, please visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Subscribe so you can receive the latest episodes. And you can also find Therapy Chat on Play and Stitcher. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, Visit Laura's website at
0: www